This recording is a production of Faith Builders Educational Programs. This presentation was recorded at Teachers Week 2018, held at Faith Builders on July 31 to August 3. It's good to see you again. <clears throat> Let's pray. Lord, I suspect a lot of us are almost swimming in inputs here. Uh, there's been so much to try to digest. And, um, well, it's, it's richness, Lord. It's, it's bounty from your hand, and we, we accept it as such. And now I ask, Lord, that what you have for us this morning from my meager offering will indeed help advance your kingdom in the hearts of everybody here today. <clears throat> in Jesus' name, amen. Well, first things first. I guess we're, we're making this a first thing this morning anyway. You should have gotten a handout um, as you walked in. If not, raise your hand and my daughters will come in. Okay, good. Somebody grab this aisle over here. Actually, both of you can come on this aisle. I think that's where most of them are. Keep your hands up if you would so they can see who needs them. <clears throat> I, I, I give a list like this with some misgivings. I have my own disclaimer at the bottom. Um, Obviously, none of these get my unqualified endorsement. Um, some of them, I think, are very good. Um, all of them, I believe, you can learn from. And the other, the other part about it is that I just know it's, it's just very incomplete. I mean, I'm pretty finite. <laughs> and I don't have... Uh, I don't have the best library. These are just some of the books that I've picked up and books or other resources that I've, that I've found. And if they're useful to you, great. I will say that the books, um, well, I'll, I'll comment on them as I go through the list. But if you're going to buy only one, I, I suggest you buy the one at the top. And uh, the ones at the bottom are the ones that I would say I have the least confidence in, but they're, they're still helpful. Um, and then I'll get to my favorite, which is not at the top of the list, but, I, but it, it is still my favorite here soon. Spiritual Disciplines for the, Disciplines for the Christian Life, a very accessible read. Um, it's it's, um, it's going to take you, you know, a number of hours to get through it or whatever, but it's, it's a, a very accessible read um, that I think just gives a a pretty well-rounded um, insight into the spiritual disciplines. Uh, his other book, or another book that he has, uh, Praying the Bible, is one that I encourage. I haven't worked my way through it yet, but it, um, from, what I've, from, from what I've seen there, I, I like it. <clears throat> you heard me quoting a number of times from Matthew Jacoby, Deeper Places. This is a great... Um, I think a great way to to start digging into the Psalms if you haven't done so yet. And now here's my favorite. Philip Yancey's prayer doesn't make a difference. I say favorite, favorite on this list. <clears throat> if you don't have it and you're feeling like splurging, just get it. Put it beside your bed or beside your chair and just pick it up every so often. It's not the kind of thing that you have to read through in one setting or anything like that. Um, I... I 
you can almost kind of use it like devotional material, I think. Um, I, there's something about Yancey's approach that just feels really, really genuine to me. And um, I, I recommend that. The Spirit of the Disciplines, Dallas Willard, another good book. He spends a good part of his time, not so much time on the how-tos of the individual disciplines, although there's some of that in there. Uh, more of it is, is foundational stuff, a little bit like the stuff we covered the first two days. Um, he has some very insightful things to say, some very um, powerful critiques of our, of, our, uh, of our world, Christian and non-Christian world. Celebrate, break, <clears throat> excuse me. I should maybe have some water. Thank you. <clears throat> Celebration of Discipline is kind of the classic. At the time it was written, I think uh, Richard Foster had done a fair amount of research and said he could not find any book written in the last 50 years or so on the topic of fasting. And, um, and he kind of broke, I think he broke some ground in, in this century, well, okay, last century, um, writing about the disciplines. Fasting for Spiritual Breakthrough. It was the first book I got on fasting. I've had it for a long time. It's an older book, and your mileage may vary, um, but it is, it is one place to start on, on, uh, on fasting. Ten Days Without, again, your mileage may vary. It's, a, it's, it's kind of a contemporary read, and it's an easy read. It's, it reads like a story. Um, but he's got some, some interesting things to say. I, I really am not vouching for, for him as much as for his book. I really don't know anything about him. And um, Fasting with the Lord's Prayer is another book by Towns. Um, it's at the bottom of the list primarily because I think he says some things a little too, a little too strongly. Stronger than I would say it. For what it's worth. Internet resources. For those of you who, who uh, tap the, the internet for for this kind of stuff, um, I really wanted to show you uh, a guide to good Bible reading. It's, it's, um, I almost printed it out, but it's about 11 pages. I decided not to do that. But it's, you know, it's, it's a quick way. I mean, uh, here's a book that should have been on the list. Um, actually, there are several. McQuilkin is one, um, and, I, and there's another one. Is his How to Read the Bible? Is that right? Um, I think that's the, the name of his. I can't remember, but but there are several of those kinds of books that should have been on the list, and I just uh, missed them until now. But a guide to good Bible reading is does the same thing in eleven pages. Um, it's it's a good way to just kind of ground yourself on what are your presuppositions about Scripture, uh, where are you starting from, and then how do you approach Scripture. I, I just, it's, it's one of many, and it's, it's not unique, but it's concise, and I, I'm fairly closely aligned with his presuppositions. For going deep, I, I recommend Dwight Gingrich's list of commentaries. I have bought a number of, of commentaries um, based on his recommendations, and I have not yet been disappointed. BibleArc.com. How many of you use that? Okay. It's an easy, it's just as simple as, as finding a computer and, and, and browsing to it. BibleArc.com. Uh, it's, it's, 
it's not like a Logos. It has some similar to Logos software, some of the other Power Bible softwares, but it doesn't have doesn't have commentaries or anything like that. It is strictly a a, a way to deal with the text. Um, arcing is is a method that I have found helpful. It's hard work, um, and it won't be super easy to break into. Um, but give yourself a uh, a several hour chunk to get started on it. And, and I think you'll find, um, find it easy. There are some um, courses or how-tos to get you started on there. It's, it's free to use. If you want to save, it's a $4 a month subscription. It's the one thing that I, that I subscribe to uh, on the internet. Bible.org um, is, a, is a, a decent place to go for, um, for sermons that have been, have been transcribed and put online. Um, I'm sure, I, okay, you know my disclaimers. <clears throat> Studylight.org and BibleStudyTools.com, both of those are also, um, um, if, if you're not familiar with those, they're, uh, you can get multiple versions there, you can get commentaries there, you can do interlinear searches there, um, Strong's Concordance, dictionaries, those kinds of things. That's my list, I hope you uh, find it helpful. <clears throat> Now, I've missed twice in giving you opportunity to take notes, like I said I was going to. Um, I doubt you had the time, or maybe you did, but I, I'm guessing many of you didn't have the time um, to do that kind of thing outside of this session. Um, so I want to give you that time now to implement some of what God may have been showing you through this. So before we get rolling on today's stuff, um, just do that. Jot something down. Maybe it's a skeleton outline of a lesson plan or, or unit um, for a devotional or something. Maybe it's just a couple things you want to tell an accountability partner or something like that. Whatever it is, what I'd like for you to do is to move this from the I should to I can to I will somewhere along the line. So you may begin. After a minute or two, I'm, I'm going to suggest that you turn to your shoulder partner and share some of the things you've jotted down. And we'll go from there. You may go. I spent a whole session talking about why we should practice the, the spiritual disciplines. I'm, gonna, I'm going on the assumption that you've been sufficiently convinced. So now I'd like to spend some time, time talking about why we don't practice them. And let's focus, since the, the, the focus of the morning is scripture intake and prayer, Let's, let's focus on those disciplines in particular. Why don't we practice these as much as we feel we should? I'm going to predict that about 99% of us in this room will have the same answer at the top of our list of reasons. Somebody give me your best guess on this. Lazy. Lazy? Oh, okay. Don't take time. What was it? Takes time, exactly. It, the word I would use is too busy or that was the concept I was using. It takes time, we're too busy, we've got too many other things to do. But laziness has got to be a factor in there, and I think you'll see why I say that in a little bit. Let's analyze that just a little bit. Now, I don't, trust me, I don't want to be dismissive of this. And the way I'm addressing it, I'm, I'm hammering it pretty hard, but I, I, it's, it's reality. Let's stare it in the face and be honest with it. <clears throat> why are we too busy? for the Bible and for prayer. I want to hear from you on that. What, what are your reasons? 
has to come down to selfishness, I think. Okay, selfishness. We're pursuing our own interests. Pursuing our own interests. Okay. Yes. 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 Exactly. Tyranny of the urgent takes over. Yes, sir. Sometimes, to be honest, because we don't really enjoy prayer, do you hear that? We don't really enjoy it. I'll be covering a number of these in different ways um, a little later. Um, I will keep moving. I, I appreciate the input. Um, see what you think about this. I think, and it's related, I think, in some ways to what you just said, I think the problem is rooted in how we view these disciplines. How many of you keep some kind of calendar for the things you've got scheduled? Okay. Calendar. A scheduler, calendar, on paper, on your phone, something. Most of you do. How many of you uh, make to-do lists? Okay. Some of you do. Um, I do both. Now, what would you say, if you do these things, what would you say is the basic difference between these two kinds of lists, the calendar and your to-do lists? Well, for me, it's this. If it's on my calendar, I've blocked out time for it. Meetings, appointments, um, classes, those kinds of things, events. I know when these are going to start, and I have a good idea of how long they'll take. I won't accept any other commitments during that time because I'm occupied. And if it doesn't work out, I, I will reschedule it or decide that something else is more important. Now, do you want to guess what my to-do list looks like? I use Trello, and I would encourage you to take a look at that if you do lists. On my to-do board, I've got a number of lists or columns, a list you can have multiple lists on that. Several years ago, I started out with one list called to-do and another list called starting or do today. Sometime later, both of those lists were getting unmanageably long, so I changed my system. I went to a want-to-do list, a have-to-do list, and then a started slash do today. Now, yeah. It's embarrassing to say it, but I'm up to five lists. <laughs> it's want to do, have to do, do soon, which is more urgent than have to do, <laughs> started and do or do today, and a list that's waiting for other people or, other, or some of their action. Yeah, it's embarrassing. Realistically, the, the want to do list, I, I don't even look at it. <laughs> Uh, if I live for another 50 years, some of those might get done. Some of them probably won't. Now, if I'm serious about Bible reading and prayer, what do you think? Should I put it on my calendar or on my to-do list? Get the picture? The to-do list, you're always juggling something, something always comes in front of it. The calendar, I've got blocked out, I've got time for it, and, and I'm planning on it. 
I think we can go a step further and follow a tip by Don Postima. Philip Yancey quotes him in, in the book on prayer. Postima had done the first step of writing prayer on his calendar in an early morning slot, but he found it was still a little too easy to pass it up. And so he decided to write God in that slot instead of prayer. That points to the same issue, I think. We tend to think of the Bible, of reading the Bible or, or prayer as something, a, a to-do, something to check off, when we should really be thinking of it as an, as an appointment with an important someone, actually an all-important someone. You were talking about reasons we don't. Let me just give you a, a short list of, of, of um, objections that, I've, that I'm going to address. Have you ever felt like, if I, just, if, I, if I block something out that rigidly, I'm, I'm going to be legalistic? Well, tell me. Do you consider someone legalistic who gets up at 5 o'clock every morning and runs two miles? because they're practicing for a marathon? Most responses that I've heard for that kind of thing are admiration. Do we have less motivation for, doing, for, for engaging in these disciplines? Another objection I anticipate is this. Yes, but it so often feels like self-effort. Perhaps it feels like self-effort because we're expecting the wrong thing, or the wrong feeling, I should say. Coming to FB here brought me into a circle of friends that I don't get to see very often. Do you think it feels strange for me to say to one of them, hey, I'd like to get, get together. What time works for you? And then in spite of all the stuff that's happening here, we carve out a slot to renew our friendship. Do you have a problem with that approach? I don't. If you're wanting to protect and grow a relationship, that's just what you do. And that's what you need to do with God. You need to carve out a slot and, sit and make it happen. And I just think it's worth repeating the quote from Philip Yancey that I showed you yesterday. As with physical exercise, much of the benefit of prayer comes as a result of consistency, the simple act of showing up. Many days I would be hard-pressed to describe a direct benefit. I keep on, though, whether it feels like I am profiting or not. I show up in hopes of getting to know God better and perhaps hearing from God in ways accessible only through quiet and solitude. Maybe you say, but I value spontaneity. Okay, let me ask you this. And I hope you can tolerate one more husband-wife comparison here. I suspect a lot of people think that spontaneity in marriage is a good thing. Well, what do you think? Would the average wife who values her marriage appreciate spontaneity if it was in place of regular interactions with her husband? No, when we're thinking spontaneity, we, we're instinctively expecting it to be in addition to the regular interactions. Those are the things that build relationship. I don't think our relationship with God is any different. 
Here's one more that just stares us in the face. But life is real. What are we to do when it comes down to actual deadlines and other hard realities? You know, you plan to get to bed at 10 o'clock, but a text from a friend who really needs, but, but you get a text from a friend who really needs to talk for a few minutes, so you call him up in the few minutes, stretch into two hours. You, we're going to set your alarm for 6 o'clock, but now you set it for 7 o'clock and figure that you can squeeze something a little tighter somewhere and, and find some alone time. And the next morning you wake up 10 minutes to 8. You forgot to turn your alarm clock on. You know, those kinds of scenarios. Or you're a parent and you, you're up several, night, several hours during the night trying to comfort a colicky baby or something. Well, first of all, let's remember that Jesus was human too. And he got interrupted. The, the, the Gospels are pretty clear on that. We'll look at some of that tomorrow. He understands the demands of life on planet Earth. But, pardon me, I'm going to ask it again. If it was a human friend that you had just stood up by oversleeping, what would you do? I think you'd be in touch right away and apologize and reschedule as soon as you can. Is that unrealistic to do that with God? I still think it boils down to whether it's a task we need to get done or a person that we have an appointment with. And ultimately, we do live out our priorities. I don't want to excuse myself for poor time and task management, but one part of the reason my to-do list is so long is that I have chosen not to put excessive hours in at school, at least most of the time. School is very important to me, but it is not as important as family. We can make the same kind of priority decision about our Heavenly Father. I continue to, to just kind of grind on this busy thing. It's a very real issue. But I don't think we usually recognize what kind of an issue it is. And, and that keeps us from approaching it in the right way. I submit that a big part of the problem is that busy is a part of our culture. It's a part of our Mennonite subculture. And, and that's because we've been absorbed. We've absorbed it from the, the Western culture around us. We are busy much like we are Western. It's a, it's a way of thinking. We are busy like we're millennials or postmoderns or for us older ones, moderns. It's, it's just how, it's, it's just the way we do life. Now, if you are saying, well, okay then, I was born into this culture and there's nothing I can do about, about it, then you're missing the point. Many of the aspects of the culture we live in become completely transparent to us. We see them as just us. It's not that they're all good or all bad. It's just that we don't stop to acknowledge that we could change them. We could be countercultural. We do that in some ways. As an Anabaptist group, we're somewhat 
countercultural in the way we dress. We're countercultural in the way we view family and marriage, at least in most cases. Did it ever occur to you that you could be countercultural in the way you do busy? I see another trait of our culture that is closely linked, and it might even be the root of busy. It's complexity. <clears throat> You've probably been hearing a term that has become more common in recent years, simplicity beyond complexity. We use this in several ways, but one way that we use it, I believe, is to, is to express our, our frustration with the chaotic overabundance of choices that we have in our wealthy 21st century Western world. When I go to Lowe's, or worse yet, when I send Brenda to pick up a tube of caulk, she will almost certainly call me back <laughs> to ask which of the 20 kinds of caulk I want. You know, kitchen door, win kitchen bath, windows doors, three-year warranty, five-year warranty, etc. Walk into the, the cereal aisle of any grocery store, and you have to narrow it down by brand, by what's on sale, what's cheapest per ounce, which one has the greatest savings, and which of the 40 candy cereals has the least sugar. You get the picture. <clears throat> we are sometimes enamored by the endless choices. And certainly, if we suddenly encounter a situation where we have few choices, then we complain. But at least for some of us, there is something wearing, something wearying about all this complexity. Actually, I dare say it's, it's wearing for all of us. Some of us just don't recognize it. And I'm pretty sure this contributes to our busy problem. I'm going to propose a solution from the Psalms. This is Psalm 131, and I'd like your help in reading it. Men, we'll start with reading it first in the King James, and then I'll have the women read it in the ESV. Men, Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty, neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. Surely I have behaved and quieted myself as a child that is weaned of his mother. My soul is even as a weaned child. Let Israel hope in the Lord from henceforth and forever. Ladies. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. If you were to summarize the tone of this psalm with one word, what would it be? Contentment. Do we view a calm soul, a quiet heart, 
as something we actively engage in, or do we see it as a product of our circumstances? Do we say, I'm at rest today, I don't really have anything pressuring me, or since I quit that job, I just feel so much calmer, or I'm all stirred up, I feel like I'm being pulled in a thousand directions. The psalmist here is indicating that we make choices to bring about this calm and quiet of soul. And he uses a graphic word picture to demonstrate what, that, what it can be. A child not yet weaned has one reflex when he finds himself in his mother's lap. What is it? Get more milk. He recognizes his mother as the source of physical strength, and rightly so. But there comes a, a time when that child will need to break that association. The mother will provide his physical strength with other food. And the child will have to accept that his mother's lap, though it is still a place of deep emotional nourishment, it's fulfilling up his joy tank, it will no longer be where he receives his physical nourishment. Until he realizes that he can find this contentment on his mother's lap in spite of what he is feeling, what, what he's feeling deprived of, he won't rest. He will never find contentment as long as he, as he is fixating on what has been taken away, on what he can't have. The path to his contentment lies in understanding and embracing what he has on his mother's lap. I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. What is the bottom line here? We have a choice. We have a choice. Now you have the right to wonder why I've only specifically mentioned the disciplines of, of Bible intake and, and uh, prayer up to now. Well, okay, I just talked about simplicity a little bit. That makes it on the some lists. And I kind of borrowed that from tomorrow <laughs> because of its implications on our schedule. While I really think there are others that do deserve a closer look, I, I put Bible reading, Bible intake, I should say, and prayer at the top. I could make an argument that solitude is a prerequisite or a co-requisite of these, um, but I'll deal with that more tomorrow. I consider Bible intake and prayer to be the disciplines that need the, the prominent, non-negotiable daily place in our lives. As important as the others are, most of us not, will not be engaging in them daily. <clears throat> now, I, I want to add quickly here, that some of them, particularly some of the disciplines of abstinence, will, I think, greatly enhance our Bible intake and our prayer. Um, but, but none of them probably has the level of influence that these first two do. So I wish I had time for more than just a few passing comments about these two disciplines, because in, <laughs> another very real objection, uh, even if most of us don't say it out loud, is 
related to the it's not really fun, and that is I don't know how. Or an alternate version of that is it's not working. Well, my response to that is don't quit trying. Um, but another response to it is to is also get help. Find a book, talk to someone, just get help. But for a few quick pointers, let me just remind you of, of Whitney's list under Bible intake. You saw this, you won't remember it, but you saw it the first day in that list of, of disciplines that I put up. <clears throat> hearing. Well, that's pretty simple. Hearing the scripture, faith comes by hearing. He considers that to be primary even for those of us who are believers. Reading. Over and over, I, I counted more than a dozen times, I think, in the Gospels, Jesus injects this question into some discussion. Have you not read? And each time he follows up with a quotation from Scripture. He is clearly operating from the assumption that any serious God follower ha will have carefully read Scripture. And the tone in which he says it indicates to me that he is expecting them to understand the implications of what they read. Which brings us to the next point, studying. And here I would just love to, to demonstrate um, what you can do with BibleArc.com as one example. I, I'm sure there are scores of other tools out there that do something similar, but um, you really can help yourself by, by taking something like that and just dissecting a passage. <clears throat> Memorization, yes. That is hard work. I think of all the methods of Bible study, Bible intake, this is probably the hardest one for me. But I can't deny that it helps me absorb and understand Scripture. Meditation and application, in, in my mind, these two methods, these last two methods, especially kind of morph into the discipline of prayer. I think it's hard to separate them. Whitney does in his... Uh, the first book on your list, Whitney does a pretty good job of digging into this exercise of meditation. I think it's a great place to start. Oh, and by the way, I forgot to mention, I believe it's the first three books that, I, that, are, um, the res that are in the bookstore, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I know the Whitney books are. <clears throat> they got them around because I mentioned it. Regarding prayer, let me just offer several observations that I feel are most basic to the way we, we approach prayer. First of all, let's keep carefully in mind whom we are communicating with. Listen to this quote from Philip Yancey. A God unbound by our rules of time has the ability to invest in every person on earth. God has, quite literally, all the time in the world for each one of us. Isn't that nice? Secondly, let's be honest about our prayer experience. We'll gain nothing by trying to give ourselves or others the impression that our prayer life is something it's not. Here's another Yancey quote. This time he's quoting Tim Stafford in Tim's book, Knowing the Face of God. 
Silently gazing into a friend's eyes may seem pure and certainly more romantic than mere talk, but conversation, not silence, builds relationships. Though I will never minimize the effect of beautiful eyes, I expect to talk to the people I care about and to hear them talk back. We do not build relationships on a sentence or two spoken every few years. Conversation between real friends is a constant stream. So I have this problem with God. I have never had a conversation with him. I have never heard his audible voice. Though I sometimes feel powerful religious emotions, I am cautious in interpreting my impulses and feelings as messages from God. I do not want to take the Lord's name in vain. I do not want to say the Lord told me when in reality I heard a mental recording of my mother's voice. I have spent any number of hours talking to God and he has not yet answered back in a voice that it was undeniably his. That's honest. That's real. And I think we need to be real. I think one of the surest ways to pray right is to pray scripture. I'm not that great at it, but I believe it's powerful and I've been learning. I agree with Eugene Peterson that it is a safeguard against praying out of our own understanding. And I quote, Left to ourselves, we will pray to some God who speaks what we like hearing or to the part of God we manage to understand. But what is critical is that we speak to the God who speaks to us and that we speak to everything that he speaks to us. What is essential in prayer is not that we learn to express ourselves, but that we learn to answer God. What Peterson implies, Bonhoeffer uh, says explicitly by pointing us to Scripture as the basis for our prayers. He says, if we wish to pray with confidence and gladness, then the words of Holy Scripture will have to be the solid basis of our prayer. For here we know that Jesus Christ, the Word of God, teaches us to pray. The words which come from God become then the steps on which we find our way to God. So there is a conversation of sorts, but it's different. We have his words in scripture, and we can answer God with them. We're out of time. I am going to post Psalm 119 as we pray, and I would like to make this our closing prayer. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies. It is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Amen. Brother Harris. This recording and many others are available through Christian Learning Resource, 
the campus bookstore at Faith Builders. Order online at www.christianlearning.org or call 877-222-4769.